You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, this morning we're, we're talking about singleness, being single, marriage, divorce, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians, and he's writing a letter to the church. And the last few weeks, he's been talking about top, different topics, and honestly, a lot of it dealing with sexuality and that kind of thing. And now he's kind of on the proactive side. He's kind of dealt with all the negative stuff and the crazy stuff that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. And the church just had some questions. They were, they were grown up and brought up in a culture that was kind of all over the map, honestly, sexually. And they just were like, how does this work? And from what we can tell, there was a couple in the church where the wife wanted to get divorced and and they're asking legitimate questions like, hey, should we counsel her? Is that okay? You know, she likes this other guy better and whatever. And so Paul is addressing that. But along the way, he talks about what it means to be single and about that being a good thing, opposite of what a lot of our culture feels that way. He talks about marriage, when to get married, how to, or not so much how to stay married, but the need to stay married. And uh, he talks about divorce, and he talks about some of the things you need to be careful with before you get married. So before I wade into that, I want us to, to notice, Paul, as he's talking about all these different specific things, and one, you're in one of these buckets, right? Every time you go to a place, are you single or widowed, you're divorced, you're married, you, I mean, you do your taxes every year, and you get, you know, that whole thing is always out there, you know, one of those kind of categories. And before we talk about those, I want us to recognize that Paul talks about, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about two foundational principles. And the first one of which, if you don't get this first, you're going to mess up everything else. Like this one applies to all of us, all right? And in a culture today, everything is about your status or your, your you know, what's, what's your status update or where are you and all of that. Are you married or not? You got kids or not? You single or not? You divorced? You widow? Got, you know, all of that. And to cut through all of that, Paul says to us, there's a foundational principle that you need to understand first. So read with me if you would. We're not going to have time to look at all of 1 Corinthians 7, so I'm going to kind of just parse out the verses that are most important. But let's start with this critical one in verse 17. This is really the foundational stuff out of which all the other things flow. Paul says this in verse 17. He says, Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. Drop down to verse 20. He goes on to say this, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. Parentheses. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Here's what he's saying. Look, you, did, you were a slave when you realized that you needed a life with Jesus? It's okay. It's, you can honor God and be a slave. Don't worry about it. But if you can get out of it, by all means, get out of it, right? That's what he's saying to us. You'll see in a minute, he's not really talking about slavery. He's talking about marriage overall. He goes on and says this. He says in verse 22, For he who is called in the Lord, in other words, called into salvation in the Lord as a slave, is free, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, who's free when he is called is a slave of Christ. You are bought with a price, so do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Whatever, whether single, whether married, what, what, all, no matter where you are, there remain with God. 
I want you to recognize first thing this morning is that God superintends. He is over our life entirely. There is so much confusion and so much emotion and so much relational and all kinds of things charged in the middle of our just where we are in our, our own relationships when it comes to marriage and whether it's dating or being single or divorce and all of that. And Paul kind of cuts through all of it. And he says, look, he's like, wherever you find yourself, here's the bottom line. Live the life in verse 10 or 17. He says, live the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Are you, are you, how many of you are familiar with the game Plinko? Have you seen the game Plinko? Okay, and we had one like when we do some of the kids' events and one here that you take the little ping pong ball and it's on a board kind of an angle with little nails in it and you drop the ball and you don't really know where it's gonna go and depending on how it goes, it hits this nail and it goes left, right, and all the way down through life, right? Life in many ways can feel like that. And what happens before we start talking about dealing with issues like, well, I just married the wrong person. We just don't love each other anymore. Well, I don't know if I should get married or not. Or, oh, I, I, I don't, how do I deal with this? I, I, I need to change. Before we answer all of those specifics, Paul is like, look, guys, we need to see that God superintends. He sovereignly lives, he's given our life that is assigned to us. If I look back at my life, I feel like sometimes mine is kind of like Plinko. You know, what would have happened? I, I met my wife when we were uh, at, at University of Maine, way up north, and uh, when we were sophomores. And the only reason I went to that school is because they had a great program for wildlife managers. What would have happened had I not had an uncle that for years bought me a little outdoor magazine when I was a kid growing up? That was one of those little nails that the ping pong ball hit. What happens if my dad wasn't a dad who liked the outdoors and took me outdoors? Well, then I probably wouldn't have gone to Maine after I graduated. What would have happened had I not gone to Maine and not met my wife? I don't know what life I would have been living. Well, what would have happened had I not had the worst dorm on campus, one of the two worst dorms, World War II rejects, like concrete cinder block, they were awful. And my roommates and I, we was like, we are sophomore year, we are out of this dump. And we all, we got up early to get into a new dorm. It just so happened it was the same dorm that my wife lived in. What, now my wife, not, not then, you, you know what I'm trying to say. What would have happened had we not had those roommates and decided that we needed to, to do that? What, what would have happened? I, I looked through my life that, you know, has God even called me to ministry? Then when we got married, had I not chosen to go to seminary, go to school here in Schenectady. Our life, when we look through, almost can be like that little ping pong ball, right? Bouncing left, right, right, left, down, and all the way down. And sometimes you and I get to a spot where we get frustrated, we get upset, and we're looking at the person that we are either married to or that we're divorced from or thinking about divorce, or even, even if we're not married yet, we're like, how do I know if I make the wrong decision that ball is going to bounce the wrong way? And we almost feel like our life it's just a series of all of these choices and that there's no bigger picture going on. I want you to see a really important word here in that verse 17. Paul says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him to which God has called him. 
Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to people that have surrendered their life to Christ. Think about it like going to class. You guys, a lot of the students sit up front. You guys went to class, right? You're paying good money to get tortured every week to write papers. I mean, really good money. You hope that there's a payout at the end. I'm not a guidance counselor, but my recommendation is get a degree where you can get a job afterwards. Otherwise, you've spent a whole lot of money for not just an experience, and it's going to go away. So you hope at the end, after all that torture, all of the the homework and the assignments and the reading and the paper writing and all of the stuff that you're doing is worthwhile. The Christian life is like that. We sign up. We surrender our life to Christ. God calls us. He saves us. And we respond to that calling. and We say yes to God. And then God like the professor, gives us assignments. Did any of your professors email you guys beforehand, Snapchat you, hey, I'm thinking about this much reading this semester. What do you think? They didn't ask you your opinion, right? Did any of your professors ask you your opinion? At most, you can either do this or that, like at most, right? So that's kind of the way it is for the Christian life. We sign up and we say yes to Jesus, and God assigns our life and says, here's what I have in front of you. I take a big, make a big point of this because you and I need to realize that there's something more at work around us. That God is so great and powerful that He works invisibly, even in desires and interests and people that we meet and things that happen and that we know. Our life is not like Plinko. It's not that we hope we get the good luck of the draw and the way things that just bounce out. God is sovereignly working in our life. That's the launching pad because here's the deal. If you haven't yet, you're going to land in a spot one day where you're going to say, is this really worth it? Is this, this isn't what I signed up for. I made the wrong choice. Five years ago, I went left. I should have gone right. And what God is starting out with saying, look, Wherever you are in your life situation, wherever that may be, whether you are a slave or not, whether you're married or not, whether you're widowed or not, whether you're single or not, whether you're divorced or not, wherever, recognize that God is over your life. He's forgiven you. He's saved you when you surrendered your life to Christ. And God is working and He is blessing and assigning you a trajectory in your life And your job in life is to live that trajectory to the fullest. That means that you and I at every moment should find a hope and a that requires a trust response out of us that no matter what situation you're in, no matter where you find yourself, no matter where you live, no matter what in the world craziness is going on, there is a God in heaven who's actively at work in your life, and there's tremendous hope. And wherever you are in that, this is the last verse that I just read a minute ago. He says in verse 24, whatever condition you are called, there let him remain with God. In other words, guys, God is with you in that moment. He's with you. He's not apart from you. He's with you. So that's the foundation. I'm going to come back to this and drill it in a little bit deeper as we talk about each of these things. So that's the foundational piece. What are those implications now for our married life, for our future, for the life that we're in? Here's what Paul has to say for singles. Look what he says in verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. 
I wish that all were as my am myself am. Paul was single, and he says, I'm not commanding you to be single, but I wish that were the case. He explains a little bit more of that later on. He says, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one from another. There's a gift that God gives supernaturally. Is it temporary? I don't know. I've thought maybe that. Is it permanent? I don't know. Maybe. But there is a gift that some people, God gives them, that they are single and are content and happy and peaceful in that life. And that's the life they should live. But Paul goes on. He says, to the unmarried and the widows... I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. It says, look, if you really want to get married, you got the hots for somebody and it works in the Lord, it's okay. In the, well, we'll explain a little bit more about what that is in a minute, but it's okay. First thing I want us to recognize, if you're single... It's a good thing to be single. In our culture today, if you're single, you feel like you're the odd person out because it's a couple's world and it's where people are going, whether it's kids. If you are married and don't have kids, can't have kids, you feel a little like, ah, we weren't able to do that. There's, you feel that pressure and then internally, socially. And then if you, you aren't married and you're single, you feel that pressure because you see your friends getting married. And especially if you're younger, you're like, my clock is ticking. I'm 25, I'm 27, I'm 30. Oh my goodness, I'm not getting any younger. I want to get married. I want us to recognize this morning that God says being single is a good thing. It is not weird. It is not odd. It is a good thing. Is it the best and only thing? Not necessarily, but it's a good thing. You see, one of the things that it's good for is you don't have to worry about problems quite so much. Paul, later on in a minute, he says down in verse uh, 28, he says, Those who will marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The whole reason he's like, look, if you get married, you're asking for trouble. That word troubles is literally the word tribulation. The Bible talks about the great tribulation coming at the end times in Revelation. Same word as this. It's the same word that if, you know, if you, you've, we've all seen people in the vat of grapes, stomping the grapes, you know, the whatever, you know what I'm talking about, like their feet. You like my little, my little Irish jig there? You know, the back row there really like that. And uh, the pressure that the grape feels when the juice is being squeezed out of it is that same word trouble. Hear me. What Paul says, if you're married, you're going to have a whole lot of pressure. There's going to be moments in your life where you're going to feel like that grape and you're just being squished right out of you. I want to spare you of that. That's why he's saying it's good to be single. You know, it's funny, but when you're single, you don't have to worry about coming into somebody else who just squeezed the toothpaste tube in the middle. Like, it's all good. If you want to put the toilet paper roll on the proper way, it's good. Nobody's going to mess it over. It's your choice. You, don't, you want to go there on vacation. You want to do this. You want to buy that. You can do whatever. You don't have to juggle life and negotiate and figure out any of that because there is one of you. You don't have those troubles. It's a good thing, Paul says. It's a good thing because you get to focus in your heart with God in an undivided kind of way. He says, nevertheless... 
Here's reality. God made us sexual beings. We spent the last two or three weeks talking about that. Most of us are, do not have that gift of celibacy. And he says, look, get married. It's okay. It's good. It's great to be single. But if you don't have that gift of God, you're, if you don't have that gift, that sexual desire, as we talked about last week, is going to come out and it's better to be with that person in a committed relationship before God with one another for that. And so it's better to get married. So if you're single and your plinko ball is bouncing, you're like, well, I haven't found the right person, the right guy, or the right girl. How do I know if the ball is going to bounce my way or not? The first thing you need to know is, is have hope and trust God. God is your hope that you trust in. And regardless of where that is all going, know today that you don't need to change your status at all to serve Him, but instead be right where you are, be comfortable and at peace with your status, whether single, married, whatever. Second thing I want us to recognize, our second implication, Paul talks not only to the singles, he talks to the married. Here's a question they wrote about. In verse 10, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the Lord Jesus. He's like, hey... This isn't coming... Jesus Himself spoke to this issue. The wife should not separate from her husband. In other words, get divorced. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. They, Paul is writing, and it'll be a little bit clearer in a minute. He's saying, now what about the case of a Christian couple? Husband and wife both know Jesus. He says, in that situation, neither are to get divorced. He said, Jesus commanded it clearly. You see, God's plan for our life is to be husband and wife together, one for a lifetime, not to be broken. That's God's plan. That's His desire. And Paul says, look, you claim to know Jesus and your spouse claims to know Jesus, the two of you together, divorce should not enter into this picture, period, done. No conditions, no questions, no ifs, no asterisks, no fine print. If you were married before you trusted Christ, it's okay. He says, stay married. Stay married. Well, Sean, you don't know what my marriage is like. That's just like putting a ball and chain around my neck. Paul says it doesn't matter. Stay married. Is he condemning us to a life of anguish and pain and suffering in marriage? Not at all. What he's telling us is, is that our life together in Christ, that all problems can be worked out. That's what he's telling us. That no matter how bad it is, no matter what that difficulty might be, but there is always a solution to the problem. Always, 100% of the time, always. So often divorce comes into couples because they say they, they, it sounds very wise and it sounds very helpful and very altruistic. Well, we're, we're getting divorced for the kids. We're doing it for the kids' sake. We're just fighting so much. Can I tell you, nobody ever got divorced for the kids. No kid in this world ever wants mom and dad divorced. They don't want mom and dad fighting but they want mom and dad to get along and have a good home. No kid wakes up just saying, I hope my kid, my parents just like, you know, go their ways. Nobody does. When a couple says that, you know, we just need to do it for the kids, what really they're saying is, is we're too selfish, too separated, too at a loss that we don't know what to do. 
and we're not willing to change for the sake of the kids. So therefore, we're going to kind of blame it on the kids, and we're going to go ahead and get divorced. Paul is telling us, guys, there's always a solution to this. Always. It really comes down to stop being so selfish and experiencing the grace and the forgiveness and the love from a God in heaven in your own heart and then turning around and handing that gift to the other person, letting them off the hook, letting go of expectations that you have placed upon them and learning to love sacrificially and to serve and to be in that commitment with them completely. Paul's not saying, hey, for the rest of your life, you just ought to have knocked down, drag out, kicking, screaming, fights and arguments and all, all of that. He's saying, no, there's no reason why God can't change your life and fix all of that. He's telling us there's always a way through it. And at the end of the day, and I'm talking now in terms where husband and wife are Christians together. We'll get to what if your spouse is not a Christian? How does that all work? But think about it this way. If a husband is really pursuing Jesus completely, and a wife is really pursuing Jesus completely, their trajectories are meeting, right? They're not opposite. They're not shooting different each other, different directions. They discover along the way that they're not the enemy at each other. That's what happens when divorce comes. Deep down, there's areas where you feel like you're the, the other person's the enemy and that you're better off without them and your problems will be solved if that gets taken care of. But Paul is very simply, and elsewhere in Scripture, it's very simply, pursue Jesus. Husband pursues Jesus. Wife pursues Jesus. They're both pursuing the same thing. And in the process, all of a sudden becomes, you know what? Let's pursue this together. And all the antagonism and all the animosity and all of that begins to drift and drip away because we pursue with our number one focus and goal a love of Jesus rather than a love for ourselves and a love for our own way and getting our own thing. You know, at the end of the day, that cuts through all those arguments, that cuts through all the history, that cuts through all of the stuff because it changes our whole heart to one another. So look at it this, this way. When a person knows Jesus and they marry somebody that knows Jesus, God has changed their life to where they love grace and they experience the forgiveness of God in their heart. And that becomes a real thing in their soul. And then for the first time, they experience that in their life, the acceptance. Insecurities begin to get peeled away. Instead of them fighting for what's theirs, they have to say, I don't have to fight for what's mine. God already did the fighting. He saved me. Everything else is good. And they, they become very at peace, very increasingly less selfish, increasingly less self-focused. That becomes somebody that becomes a good spouse. And then when the other spouse is experiencing that same thing, then the two go hand in hand. Marriage trouble comes when two people are without fully realizing it, but they're still serving themselves. They're still making sure they've got theirs and they're keeping track of all the rights and the wrongs and they're, they're not forgetting all the past and they're not, there's no forgiveness in the middle of that. And at the end of the day, the solution is just not ripping apart and getting rid of the other person. The real solution is doing the hard work of grace in your own heart toward that other person. So Paul says, stay together. There's no reason. Because here's the deal. In that scenario, okay, you get, 
you feel that you're being cheated or, you know, whatever, and you separate, you go into the next relationship and you still have selfishness and you still have insecurities, guess what? You just took all of that with you into your next relationship. And in fact, you took a boatload of hurt and habits and all kinds of stuff reacting out of your first marriage and you bring that into the second marriage and you all of a sudden begin to repeat the same thing over again. The problem is, bottom line, it's not, the issue is not we've married the wrong person. The issue is, is we're not willing to humble ourselves, get past our pride and our selfishness as Christians and pursue God. So take that off the table. If you didn't know Jesus before you got married and you, your ball bounced years ago and you're wondering, why did I do this? Don't you allow that lie to linger. Well, I just made a mistake and married the wrong person. That's, that's ridiculous. Don't you think God is big enough that He can work in your life from way back before you got married? The answer to that is yes. So you didn't marry the wrong person. We even need to get a little bit past. I'll show this to you in a minute. But there, this idea that there's only one perfect person that your soulmate out there, that is the most absurd and stupidest thing on the planet. Quit waiting around and looking for that person because that person does not exist. And when you think you found them, you're going to hold them to standards that are unrealistic and they're going to absolutely let you down. And that just reinforces that you are selfish. You think that it's all about you and it's not. So, now what about, the, what about the implication about a husband or wife who is a Christian married to somebody who's not a Christian? Paul explains this one. How does that work? He says to verse 12, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. He's not saying this is, um, you don't have to do this. When he says, I say it, what he's saying is, is Jesus didn't directly teach on it. It's just as authoritative because it's God's Word, but He says, I'm now giving to this to you. Jesus didn't teach on this. This is new, new information. He says that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband's made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Here's what he's saying. He's like, look, he says, I don't care if you know Jesus and your spouse is a Satan worshiper, legit pentagrams all over the place in the den doing crazy sacrifices. If you know the Lord Jesus, Jesus is bigger than whatever's going on in your spouse's life. God looks at your family, and because of the grace working at your life, your whole family is blessed of God, and your kids are there blessed of God. So don't feel like you've got to remove yourself because of this other person that you're married to is just a disaster spiritually, morally, whatever. It says, don't do that. If you're a Christian and you're following Jesus, stay married if possible. But he goes on to say this. He says in, in verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, in other words, they want a divorce, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Here's the thing. When a husband and a wife, one knows Jesus and the other doesn't, there's going to be tension in the marriage because one is truly pursuing Jesus and the other one's not. It's just going to happen. It's a reality of life. And Paul says, if you, as you are living your Christian life, if you find yourself in that marriage, by the way, it's why, one of the reasons why when you get married, if you know Jesus, you need to marry somebody who knows Jesus because 
when you surrender your life to Jesus as Lord of your life, He's in charge. He's going to want you to do stuff and to live a certain way. And the other person doesn't have that allegiance. So right off the bat, you're, you're pulling two very different directions. It's not an issue of, well, our faiths don't agree. It's a completely, I mean, it's a pragmatic reality. You're not even going to be able to be pointing in the same direction. It's like trying to be in a car and driving two different destinations at the same time. It's not going to work very well. But if you're in a marriage and say you, you trusted Christ after you were married, or maybe you really did know Jesus and you got married, but you really weren't paying attention and you just you, you married somebody that you liked, but they weren't really a Christian, or maybe you thought they were a Christian then, but now you realize they're not, Paul says, look, stay in it. Be the very best spouse you can be, because how do you know but what God is going to use you to reach that your husband or your wife with, with the truth of the gospel? Elsewhere, he tells us, don't nag, and we talk about how to do that, and you don't need to be, you know, every turn leaving Bible verses for them, you know, just like, okay, if they see all of this stuff, they're going to get it, you know, do share with them, but be wise in how you do that, and we could talk more, but don't separate. If your spouse, on the other hand, says, hey, this is just not working, I, I, I want out. There's somebody else that I like, and you're a Christian. Paul says it's okay. You're not disappointing God. You're honoring God. It's okay. You're not enslaved. You don't need to be begging and groveling. Your life is, can be blessed of God, is blessed of God, regardless of that setting. And my understanding of Scripture, that is, then is one of two reasons that God allows for remarriage after a divorce. If the spouse is, is, was married to a, a non-Christian, somebody who wasn't a follower of Jesus and that wanted out, and then they are, those ties are broken, then in my understanding of Scripture is they're eligible to be remarried. And the other one Jesus talks about in Matthew, that uh, if two people are married and get divorced, or say the husband's just like, I'm done, then the husband is causing the wife to commit uh, sexual morality, ad adultery, infidelity when she remarries or she is you know, dating somebody else and vice versa. Because the one instance is the only reason that, other reason that divorce would be allowable is in cases of marital infidelity. Because the marriage relationships we talked last week, when you get married, you two become one completely in that setting. So Paul tells us, he's like, guys, if you're pulling two different directions, do everything you can to live for Jesus and honor that marriage. What that means, the tensions that you have, you might not be able to come to some church functions because you do need to keep peace in your marriage. Maybe you're like, well, Sean, I want to I support the, what God and I want to tithe and all of that and honor God, but boy, it really rubs my spouse the wrong way. It will if your spouse doesn't know Jesus. My counsel to you is say, Lord, I want to. You know my heart, but you need to keep your marriage together. You don't throw in the towel. You don't disobey God, and you don't, um, you know, like it's different if your spouse says, okay, you either need to become a devil worshiper with me or I'm divorced. Well, that's a no-brainer. Okay, I, I want to stay married to you, but not at that one. <laughs> I can't cross that bridge. But not going to church once a month so that you can spend a weekend together to keep peace in the family. It's okay, guys. It's okay. We're not called to be enslaved. We're called to be married in a relationship. And it'll be a struggle, but you live that life and you pursue Jesus. Now, what about singles who are dating or engaged? Paul talks more about this than all the other ones, 
Look at what he says here. Implications of, remember, all this is implication. Oh, before I go there, I got to tell you this. So here's the encouragement. If you got married before and now you know Jesus and you're like, oh my goodness, had I known Jesus then, what I know now, I wouldn't have married this person. I wouldn't be in this mess. I've so screwed up my life. Let those nagging ideas, let them go. They're just lies. Know that God is superintending your life and that there's hope in the middle of the difficulty in that marriage. There's hope and trust that live the life that God has assigned you. And if it's being married to that devil worshiper, then stay married and that God will bless you and He will work in your life in the middle of that. There's hope. And know that Jesus is present with you just as we read a minute ago, that He's with you in the middle of that. So have hope. Have trust. If, you don't, if you're wondering all of those nagging questions and all of that, I promise you all that will do is erode away your confidence, your hope in the Lord, and it will absolutely eat away your commitment. Instead, know that God is there with you and He can absolutely overcome and He will take care of you and walk through the darkest night and He will walk with you through the most incredible, brightest day of all the blessings as well as the darkest night. So stay there. Now to the singles who are thinking about marriage, maybe you're dating or interested or engaged, she says in verse 25, concerning the betrothed, literally that is the same word used of Mary who is a virgin. So he's talking to people who have not, uh, not been married, or maybe they've had the, the legal divorce, you know, their husband left them because they were Christian, or they cheated on them, and they left them. Paul says this, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, Jesus didn't tell me this directly, but he says, I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of verse 26 of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. He goes on in verse, jump with me to verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Here's the deal. Paul's, a couple of principles. Paul says, don't seek a spouse. There's a lot of spouse seeking in the world, is there not? He says, don't do it. Don't make that your top thing that you're thinking about. Don't make that your big goal in life, the biggest thing in your bucket list. He says, take that off the table. See, when you seek a spouse, you're more in love with the idea of being in love than you really are with a person. And I promise you, you are headed for real problems if that's the basis of your future relationship. You do want Mr. Prince Charming to come into your life. And I'll tell you a secret, he is not out there at all, right? I, I like to think I'm a pretty good husband, and on most days I am. I mean, my wife this week walked in and said, you know, Mike, it's a cool thing to put stickers on your laptops and all of that when you're a college student and teenagers, you know, and my wife comes in and she's like, I've got a sticker for you since your kids are putting them on. I'm like, what? I didn't let her have my thing. And then she showed it to me. It was like this red flame, and it said hot. And I'm like, all right, baby, you can put that one on my laptop. So I did. So if you're looking at my laptop right now, you know you got the right woman when she calls you hot, you know, and you're sitting there and whatever, you're PJs and, you know. Um, what Paul is telling us, if your biggest goal in life is to marry somebody, 
you're going to absolutely mess this up. Why? Because God is not the biggest thing and most important thing in your life. You're going to screw your life up royally. He says, if you're single, don't be seeking that. Get a life. Like your, your whole future is not found in that other person. Your whole future and your whole wholeness. If you're in your heart emotionally, you're reacting because you didn't feel love from your parents or your mom or your dad and you're, you know, all of this and you're trying to fill that void in your heart with a spouse, stop. Don't seek a spouse. If you want to be able to just to have that cool Facebook or that social media status and have the most perfect proposal ever so that everybody can see how wonderful your future life is, stop. Charm only goes so far. And Mr. Prince Charming isn't always charming. So he says, stop seeking a spouse. And instead, put God first truly in your life. See, your, your future ought to be like this. You ought to be running after Jesus. And along the way, as you're living your life running after Jesus, you notice some other people around you running after Jesus. Your whole focus is running after Jesus, but you're in a group. And then one day you kind of look over. Wow, these guys are awesome. And you become friends. And then one day you're like, wow, he's really nice. He's running after Jesus. I'm running after Jesus. Oh. And then you might be, oh, okay, maybe this is a, not a bad thing. That's good. But when you make, I'm not running after Jesus. I just got to find the, this guy or I got to find this girl. You're putting your whole hope and your whole future in that. Just stop that. It will wreck your life. It will destroy you. Fast forward, I promise you, in your life, you will become another statistic like so many other people, and you are asking for heartache. Because here's the thing. You choose to marry somebody who's not pursuing Jesus, congratulations, you just married somebody who's very selfish, who's very self-centered, who may say the right things now and be Mr. or Mrs. Prince Charming to you right now. But underneath that, they're really being Prince Charming because they want to get something out of you. And after a while, they're going to stop being that Prince Charming. And after a while, all that's going to wear away and their true colors are going to show. But when you really marry somebody who's pursuing Jesus, that's why Paul says in the Lord, marry them in the Lord, uh, here in, uh, down in verse 39, uh, let them marry whoever they wish, only in the Lord. He says, but when you marry somebody in the Lord, who God is, is the key part of their life, that God is looking favorably upon their life, that's an awesome thing, because they're pursuing Jesus, and as they pursue Jesus, they're going to be dealing with all their own junk in their heart, and they're going to bless you. And then you're going to turn, as you pursue Jesus, you're going to bless them. And as you pursue Jesus together, then you become a force for accomplishing what God wants to accomplish in this world. And you're running the life that is assigned to you. But at the end of the day, guys, today, you don't know if that's you or not, if you're single. If you're, nobody's on the radar, just take a deep breath and relax. <sighs> Breathe with me. It's okay. I don't care what age you are. God is superintended over your life. Trust Him. So when I was a, a sophomore in college, I was, I was lonely. I was living on top of a mountain in Maine. I was a wildlife guy. Our tent was as tall as the tallest trees around. I was releasing peregrine falcons 
having to live there. I literally hiked up and down off that mountain two, uh, about every other day. I was in awesome physical shape. It was great. I was lonely. It was a time in my life that I began, just began getting serious with God, and I prayed. I remember that summer, God, I would sure like a girlfriend. That's a normal prayer for a teenage boy, right? Yeah. Mom and dad, you want your boys and girls to be praying about who they date and all of that stuff. It's a good thing, I assure you. And nothing happened much long after that, but later that school year, I honestly had forgotten about the prayer, but Susan was around and I met Susan. Now, I would love to give you a nice, neat and clean you know, relationship after, and after that and fireworks and all that. It wasn't. It was kind of messy. She didn't know Jesus after that, and I still had to get some things squared away in my life. But God answered that prayer. So if you're single and you want to get married, then pray that prayer but trust God in that. Don't go trying to do God's job after you pray the prayer. That's dumb. That's when you're like, try like God, okay, I pray the prayer, move over. You're not acting fast enough. That's like, you know, a kid asking for dinner and like, mom, you're not moving fast enough. Hey, move over. I'll come make dinner myself. Well, you might celebrate that, mom, but you know what I mean? It just, it doesn't work that way. So you pray, but you seek God because God's your biggest thing you're after and you trust him to work. If he is big enough to save you and to run this entire world without even breaking a sweat, I think he can bring somebody into your life that you can build a friendship with, that you're going to have a foundation of trust and communication on, out of which then the whole romance and desire thing begins to flow. But when you start with that romance and that desire, that goes away quickly. And it was never nearly as solid and as good as you thought it was. So to singles, I would say, number one, does that person know Jesus and are they truly pursuing Jesus? Are they going to be perfect? No. No. Are they going to make mistakes? Absolutely. So don't make you know this guy that you're trying, thinking about, compare him to Jesus walking on water and never did anything wrong. He's going to blow it. You're, you're going to blow it. But secondly, are you... Friendship, do you have a relationship of friendship, genuine connection, commitment, trust, all of that? And then out of that, when you have the desire, marry. And I want you to notice what he says here. Very clearly, I'm going to wrap up with, with this one more thing. He says, in verse uh, chapter 7, he says this in verse 39. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. Whom she wishes. Christians have over-spiritualized this. Oh, we need to make sure we marry the right one. How are you going to know that? Is God going to write it in the sky? It's somebody that you want to marry in a relationship that God is willing to bless in the Lord. Somebody's pursuing Jesus. There's no mathematical formula. Some of you guys are scared to death probably of the whole dating thing. Oh my goodness, I don't want to mess this up. Whatever. Just relax. Take a breath. Pursue Jesus. And as those things begin to unfold, if that person is in the Lord and you're pursuing and all those things are there, then marry who you want to. That's what he says. Marry who you want to. You don't need a memo from God. You don't need God to send you an email. You don't need to be taking your coffee grounds in the morning and, you know, 
getting anything written out, marry who you want to. And know that no matter what your future is with that person, that God's hand's in the middle of that. And you're pursuing the life that God has assigned you. And as you do that, God will use the two of you in your entire life to serve and love Him. And if for some reason there's, a, there's landmines in there that you didn't see, and there always will be, because when you get married, you're asking to be the grape that gets stomped on. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Know that. But know that God is with you in the middle of that. I want to say this. This subject this morning was really tough because I know of no nothing, no subject that gets more personal to who we are than our marriage and our past divorces and all of that. And I want to say two things. One, um, when we talked about the marriage and not getting divorced, I didn't touch base at all about uh, domestic violence or abuse. And in those scenarios, guys, you need to get separated and at least physically Hopefully things can be resolved, but you need to do what you need to do to get safe, all right? And uh, in the world in which we live, I don't want to let that one dangle because uh, you're not enslaved, just as Paul talked about a moment ago. So get safe. And I say that to you ladies, but let's be honest. There's wives that abuse their husbands too. I say that to you men as well. Uh, It's both. So get safe. And it's tough to hit, talk about being single and divorce and marriage and all of this stuff and have that all come out square and straight. But these are real things that God wants us to live and honor Him, and regardless of where we are. So I just wanted to say that before I pray for offering and we can worship. Lord, thank You for Your love and Your grace. Father, thank You that regardless of where we are, that You superintend our life, that there's hope, there's a future, and there's a blessing. Lord, help us to all be content with where we are today, to serve You today where we are and not be dreaming about something on the outside that may or may not happen. So Lord, I pray that for our lives, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.